My next guest was sued unsuccessfully by one Donald J. Trump, this for a book that he wrote called Trump Nation. Now with Bloomberg, this is Timothy O'Brien. Hey, Tim, welcome back. Thank you so much for being here. Hi, Michael. I feel like this is the ghost of Christmas past. Didn't we we do this years and years ago? Years and years ago when you released Trump Nation (laughs) and before you went into lockdown mode, we indeed had the conversation. And, And I remember the interview well because I read the book and you poked all sorts of holes way back when on his net worth and he didn't like it. Yeah, you know, the, the goal of the book was to place him in the culture, both as a businessman, as, as a reality TV star, uh, in the political worlds of New York and Atlantic City, as well as giving readers a sense of, of, of his own journey. Because I think even then, Trump was, wasn't taken seriously enough, I think, by the mainstream press in terms of the traction he had in the American imagination. And, and at that point in time, he was probably one of the most famous business people in the United States without really having any accomplishments behind him that would have warranted that. So he sued you for defamation. He sued you for for libel in particular. How far did the case go before it was dismissed? Uh, So the book was published in 2005. He sued me in early 2006. It was dismissed in 2009. He appealed that. Uh, in the state of New Jersey. It went to an appellate court in New Jersey, and it was dismissed again in 2011. It sounds longer and more involved than it was. One of the reasons it went on for as long as it did is his legal team never complied readily with with some of our discovery requests. Uh, We had, you know, I saw his tax returns, his bank records, other business records, and they were slow to disgorge some of that once we began litigating. But, but I mean, I, I, you know, the reason I invited you on today was with an eye toward Alan Weisselberg, and I will get to Alan Weisselberg, but I'm curious now, were you deposed? Was Trump deposed? How much discovery was taken? Uh, we were both deposed. There was pretty ample discovery. I was deposed in two eight-hour sessions, and then we deposed President Trump for two days in December of 2007, two eight-hour sessions. Uh, I had the good fortune at the time to have incredible lawyers. I was at the New York Times, so I had the advice of David uh, McCraw, who was the Times in-house counsel, and then my book publisher, Warner Books, hired uh, Mary Jo White to defend me against Trump. Trump was re- represented by Mark Kasowitz, who you know is well-known now as well. Uh, and, uh, you know, we got... Uh, we deposed people in his company, including Alan Weisselberg, uh, and and we got lots and lots of business records from him. Are you limited in what you can discuss? Are those documents publicly available? Uh, because they were produced during discovery and we never litigated, none of those documents came part of the public record, and they would have sealed the tax documents anyway, and I was... Uh, forbidden from disclosing specifics about the tax returns. But I have written for Bloomberg Opinion uh, uh, probably three columns at this point about what I think some of the main things are in his tax returns that generally that probably indicate why he doesn't want them to be made, be made public. Uh, it would reveal what his charitable, charitable giving really is. It Nil. would reveal... I'm sorry, go ahead. Nil was I just interjected. Um 
Uh, it would reveal how robust his businesses really are. And I think in the environment we are now, most importantly, it would reveal foreign sources of income and get to the question of uh, the kind of outside forces that could come to bear upon President Trump in the Oval Office. So you wrote for Bloomberg under the headline, New Cohen Tape Surfaces, A Bigger Trump Fish. Alan Weisselberg Knows Far More Than the President's Former Lawyer. This, of course, reference to the fact that the Southern District, according to the Wall Street Journal, has subpoenaed him to testify relative to the Michael Cohen probe. Uh, Tell me about Alan Weisselberg. Alan Weisselberg is almost the same age as Donald Trump. I think he's a three months younger. Trump is 72. Weisselberg's about to turn 72. He was Fred Trump, Donald Trump's father's accountant. He's been with the Trumps since the 1970s. He is now Donald Trump's uh, chief financial officer at the Trump Organization. He oversees the trust that Trump's two eldest sons and Weisselberg jointly manage that controls all of President Trump's Uh, financial and business interests related to the Trump Organization. Uh, He is a man who knows where all the financial bodies are buried in the Trump Organization. And in that regard, he's a much more pivotal person uh, to any investigation into Trump's finances than someone like Michael Cohn. He, He knows the true net worth, right? Oh, of course he does. Yeah. And in fact, that was, you know, during when I was working on my book, Alan Weisselberg was the person Trump kept putting in front of me uh, as the guy who was going to offer me uh, evidence that that Trump was worth as much as he said. And and during the time I covered him, you know, from, say, 2002 or 2003 till 2006, Trump gave me these wildly differing estimations of his wealth, anywhere from a little over a billion dollars to as much as nine billion. So when I finally came down to needing a number, I had this moment where I sat at Trump Tower with Alan Weisselberg, and Weisselberg took out a legal pad and he went through just line by line what all of Trump's assets were worth. And they had been insisting to me before I got to the office that Trump was worth six billion dollars. Then I sit down with Alan Weisselberg, he gives me this list, I'm going through it, I've got my little calculator out, and when we get done it only tallies to five billion, which I I think was still a, a, a radical uh, inflation. In any event, I said, Alan, you guys said six billion, and this is only five billion. And Alan said to me, "Let me go back to my office and find that other billion." <laughs> Where was it? In the corner drawer? <laughs> I don't great. know. I don't that know. Maybe, maybe like right next to the pens. So, what's he like on a personal level? Because I, I've read what you have written about him and what others, and he just seems like the antithesis of of Trump. You know, same wife for nearly fifty years, eats a tuna fish sandwich every day in the lunchroom. What can you shed on this? Grew up in Brooklyn, still has a home there. Uh, uh, is a very much a family man. I think the only people, Michael, that really last in Donald Trump's orbit. Are those are either his his direct family members, you know, Ivanka and 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 Don Jr. Uh, when you move away from the family, anybody else has to completely give over their identity, and almost their soul to sort of stay. I think um, uh, in in charge of who they are and and sane from day to day. I mean, we've seen this in the White House. The attrition rate in the White House is massive. And that was true of the Trump organization as well. And I think Alan Weisselberg is a guy who was very happy to serve the Trumps and put his own identity aside. Do you think he has a personal affinity for Donald Trump? Did you get a feeling when you were in his company? 
Yeah, I think I think he I think I think the Trumps consider Alan Weisselberg family, and and I think he um, I think he I think he likes Donald. I think he always has. Uh, I think he's also seen the Donald Trump who erupts into vicious tirades against people at the drop of a hat, the Donald Trump who doesn't show as much loyalty to others as, as he expects from them, and the Donald Trump who will really throw anyone under the bus uh, should push come to shove, and yet, and yet Alan Weisselberg has survived. So Alan Weisselberg, we don't know. Has he already testified? Is he about to testify? But, but this is a major development relative to the Southern District probe. Right. It's, really, it's relevant because he was heard on a tape of, in which Michael Cohn said to Donald Trump, uh, we need to try to package these payments um, uh, to McDougal, the, the Playmate model, uh, uh, in, you know, in order to make this thing go away. And I'm going to talk to Alan Weisselberg about it. And Alan will know where to find the money. And, and I, that brings, it brings Weisselberg into this payoff scenario. But what's more significant about it, I think, Michael, is it gives investigators now entree into this whole world of shell companies inside the Trump organization that he has used to park debt over the years, that he has used to process foreign and domestic transactions. And to the extent they begin questioning Alan Weisselberg about these payoffs to McDougal and to Stormy Daniels and, and to any other Trump paramours, it could lead into questions about how the Trump organization uses these shell companies and masks payments in other ways. And that could be a Pandora's box for the president. And I suspect that's one of the animating factors right now in his vendetta against Robert Mueller. I, I don't think he's authentically concerned about collusion. I think he's worried about the money trail. How is he, Timothy, as a witness? He was he was deposed in connection with the libel suit that Donald Trump brought against you. Is he an unflappable witness? Is he comfortable in that role? I'll tell you, I'll tell you this. In my litigation, uh, Trump and others in, in, in the Trump organization did not hesitate to lie in order to forward their agenda. And uh, I think um, people prosecuting that team, are, they're going to have to take on board the fact that these are folks who will lock arms together, the very inner core, uh, unless, unless each of them is independently threatened with things like prison time. Then you may see somebody like Alan Weisselberg flip if he faces prison time. I don't know. That, I don't see that happening in this scenario. And absent that, I imagine he'll lock arms with the president. One final question for Timothy O'Brien from Bloomberg, also author of Trump Nation. Uh, I want you to hear 10 seconds of audio, and then I want to ask you a question. Um, I need to open up a company for the transfer of all of that info regarding our friend David, you know, so that I'm going to do that right away. I've actually come up and I've spoken, and I've spoken to Alan Weisselberg about how to set the whole thing up. So, Timothy, uh, that's the tape that caused uh, the Southern District to want to question Weisselberg if they weren't already wanting to question. Here's the question. Did you find it odd that Michael Cohen said his last name? Uh, no, that didn't. The fact that he said Alan's last name didn't jump out to me. Okay. You know, I, 
you know, the thing that always leaps out to me about these guys, Michael, is you are not dealing with rocket scientists when you're dealing with the Trump organization. The president himself is not a highly sophisticated or deeply informed individual, and he tends to attract second and third tier people who are trying to hitch their wagons to his star. Michael Cohen is certainly one of those. And the problem they're all facing now is they're bouncing off each other like pinballs just trying to save their own skins. I just thought it was odd that that, that if this was really the inner circle, that it would have been Michael Cohen saying, well, I've already spoken to Alan about this and there'd be no need to reference so his what, surname. What do you think it suggests? I think it's, I, I just, look, you're, you're more sophisticated than I relative to these personalities. You, you know them better. But I, my antenna went up when I heard Michael Cohen say Alan, Alan Weisselberg. You know, it's almost like he leans into huh. his iPhone to say it with clarity. And I, I, I wondered, was he making a record? Oh, that oh, never occurred that to you. That never occurred huh. to me. But now, now, as the second you just said to me, and then he leaned into his iPhone and said Alan Weisselberg, that would make perfect sense. I mean, I think this whole issue of, of Trump, uh, you know, saying in his Twitter feed that what kind of a lawyer tapes his own clients? Well, I'll tell you, the kind of lawyer who tapes his own clients is the kind of lawyer who has a client like Donald Trump, who is constantly threatening other people uh, uh, with the idea that he's taping them. And I think that Michael Cohn early on realized he needed an insurance policy of the Trump Organization, and it was tape recordings of everything he did with Trump that might get him in trouble later. So your notion that at that moment he was creating a record consciously would make perfect sense to me. Final comment I'll make for you. It's not a question. X the unknown for me as I pay very close attention to these events remains. Why did Rudy waive attorney-client privilege for the tape that we've all now heard. It came at the end of what was a brutal week right. for Donald Trump. He was getting his ass kicked on the, the Putin-Helsinki situation for five straight days. Rudy then waves attorney-client privilege. And I, I can only conclude it's because they made a calculus that they would be better served if the nation were talking about a Playboy playmate, Karen McDougal, than Vladimir Putin. But I still haven't completely figured that out. Mm-hmm. I think it's twofold. I think one thing is they certainly do feel that focusing on collusion, which Rudy correctly says is not a crime, but that's not the issue. It's a conspiracy to commit a felony or aiding and abetting that would be the crime here, not collusion. But by keeping the thing focused on collusion and these payments, that's sort of a threat-free zone to the president. I think the second thing Rudy has been doing for months now is trying to get ahead of news media stories. He will, he will seed the talk shows with information that he knows is probably going to get revealed in news stories that are about to publish in order to get ahead of the news cycle and, and try to control how it's perceived. Okay, so to your second observation, if Rudy believed that ultimately the special master was going to rule that tape subject to the crime fraud exception to attorney-client privilege, by the way, think of that, that would mean the government is is saying, we think this tape is evidence of a crime, evidence of a fraud. Maybe it was Rudy wanting to get out ahead of it. There's more there. Look, you're an investigative journalist. I am not. I'm just telling you there is something going on there. Okay? Okay. Get moving. Offline, offline, we'll have to talk more about this. Hey, are you all tied up at MSN? Can I never get you on CNN? No, I'm on a two-year contract with MSN until next August. Okay, but what about the old argument that this is all about promotion of Trump Nation? Well, it's that 
But I mean, Bloomberg carved out an exception for me to do yeah. this outside the company, mm. and I can only do it with MSNBC. Okay, I bring you on. Hey, it's the paperback version. We're here to talk about Trump Nation. Believe it's me. all good. Believe me. Okay. No, no, I would do it regardless of promoting the book because you were an early enthusiast about all this. Definitely. I've forgotten that. All right. So, nice to chat with it, you. I, I hope it's you come back. Nice I don't want to overstay you. my welcome. Thank you no, very yeah, much. Anytime you want to do it. Anytime. Okay. Thank you, Timothy. Right, bye, Michael. It's Timothy O'Brien from Bloomberg. The book is called Trump Nation. I thought that was really, really revealing on a whole variety of fronts. Hey, did- It's interesting both personally and politically and professionally like it's down to the nitty-gritty of interpersonal relationships so so apologies if i've asked you this fifty thousand times but do we have somewhere in the archives the interview that i did by now 13 years ago with him when trump nation came out and if not can you kindly undertake a massive search I mean, I will go put on my exercise clothes Seriously. and dig through the attic. Get on the Lululemon, get happened. in the basement, you go really wherever just, it takes. You have to be dressed for it, you know what but I'm t- saying? But TC, it would be fascinating to listen right. to that interview. We were one of, this is why- he, he remembers. This is why he compliments me at the end. I was on that book immediately, immediately, and very soon after he did the interview with me. He went into a lockdown. He wasn't allowed to speak because now he was getting sued by Trump. It would really be interesting to to listen to it. it it's an interview that stands out in my mind, much like the McKay Coppins 24 yes. hours with the fake Trump campaign. And of course, Trump has the last laugh on McKay and me. Right. But uh, I'd really like to hear that interview. All right. Trump Nation. I'm on it. Trump Nation. Yeah. So anyway, that was Timothy O'Brien, ladies and gentlemen.